In his most famous sermon, Jesus helped his followers both then and now to see just how different God made us to be. In everything from our character to our relationship to the way we love other people, we were made to stand apart from the crowd. Just as it was for those who heard the Sermon on the Mount for the first time, every day of our lives is filled with opportunities for us to compromise and to blend into the norm or to be distinct. And so we're going to start today by looking at uh, distinct in my character. So then let's look at page 77. Question number one. How was, or what was the happiest time in your life? When you graduated. Okay, anybody else? When you, when you gave your heart to Christ. Okay, I guess most people can say when they gave their heart to Christ. Because they were no longer on that road to destruction. God had snatched them out of the domain of darkness and put them into his marvelous light. Anyone else had a different experience? Yeah, childhood. Okay, carefree. Not a bill to, to worry about. Uh, no bills to pay. Just live it. Just live it. Okay. All right. Uh, let's look at page 78, Bible Meets Life. Let's have someone read that, please. You are being manipulated hundreds of times every day. We typically don't use that label, but that's exactly what happens every time you watch a commercial, read a billboard, or get an internet pop-up ad. Each and every one of those messages is trying to convince your subconscious mind of two things. You are not as happy as you could be, or should be. You will be happier if you drive this car, watch this show, buy this product, and so on. It makes sense that marketers and advertisers go after our happiness. Who doesn't want to be happy? But what if being happy isn't the ultimate goal? What if there's something better? As we'll see in today's scripture focus, Jesus told his followers what life is in his kingdom will be like. Will it be happy? Not exactly. It would be something far better. It would be blessed. Okay. How many of us are tempted to go and buy stuff because of what we saw in commercials. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> you do it. You're not tempted, you do it. Okay? You, you never thought about that before until you saw that commercial. Oh boy, I want that. Or you need it. You, you, you never needed it before. But as soon as you saw that commercial, all of a sudden you need it. Okay? And, and, and you ever notice that the program that you're watching, when the commercial come on, the commercial is louder than the program? You ever notice that? The commercial is much louder than the program. Sometimes you have to take the, the, the remote and turn the volume down. Or, or mute it when the commercial comes on, and they do that for a purpose. They do that for a purpose. That's a marketing strategy. All right, that's a marketing strategy. Now, I think that the federal government was trying to do something about that um, some years ago. Uh, they had some supposed to pass some legislation to mandate that it was the F FCC to mandate that the television stations retain the volume of the programs when they put commercials on. Okay, but I don't think that that worked because it's still happening. It's still happening. Mm. A long time ago, I saw this commercial, and the person almost whispered, 
He says, we say this like this because you don't listen. Okay. <laughs> and cable Bahamas do that a lot too. Cable Bahamas do that a lot. The news is, is volume is low, but the commercials are really loud. Okay, the point. Seven point seventy-eight. Choose actions and attitudes that are blessed by God. That's the whole point of the lesson. To choose actions and attitudes that are blessed by God. Now think about how that relates to watching a television commercial on a particular project product and going out and buying that product. Would doing that be a blessing to God? Would your actions in response to that commercial be a blessing to God? Would God get anything out of that? Or just you? Okay, that's the point of the lesson. Okay, and um, if we want to praise God for his goodness to us and all that he has done in our lives that caused us to realize that he's the one that's doing it and not we ourselves. Okay, Matthew chapter 5 on page 79. If someone can read the first six verses, please. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. Now you see the definition of what it means, what that word blessed means, right? Oh yeah. What does it say? It meant to be fortunate, to be happy or joyful as a result of what? Circumstances. Circumstances, or even more significantly here, as a result of and with emphasis on divine favor. Yeah. Okay, sometimes you ask some, some people how they're doing is they say, blessed and highly or divinely favored. That's right. Okay, <laughs> that's that right. Okay, and that is actually so. Content, yeah. Okay. And then poor in spirit. What did that say? Probably poor. Probably meant economically disadvantaged. Symbolically, it meant lacking in spiritual significance or being inferior. Combined with in spirit, the phrase is synonymous with being humble. Okay. So one talks about contentment and the other one talks about humility. Blessed, contentment, poor in spirit, humility. Okay. Let's look at the paragraphs on page 80. Look at the first two paragraphs there. Someone read the first two paragraphs. Just the first two. The sermon is like a grenade tossed into the bunk of what we think it means to be happy in today's culture. The poor in spirit are blessed. Those who mourn are blessed. The gentle are blessed. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. According to Jesus, being blessed is more than just, than, than just happiness. Than happiness. Being blessed is more than just happiness. It goes deeper than ordinary emotion and is driven by more than mere circumstances. While the people in Jesus' day, like people in our own day, might have thought, blessing came from being healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> Understanding what true blessing means is one of the things that makes Christians distinct 
Enduring happiness or blessedness comes with a life lived in a way that pleases God. Okay, now let that sink in for a minute. Think about it. What are the people of, uh, what, 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 how are the people described here in this first paragraph? The poor? The poor. The poor are what? Poor in spirit are blessed. Poor in spirit are blessed. important now that the poor in spirit, not just the poor. Because remember, you looked at that, that word blessed there. Okay, the poor in spirit are blessed. They may be poor in material things, but in spirit they're rich, they're wealthy. And then those who mourn. Blessed. Okay, those who are grieving, they're going to be blessed too. Yeah. Okay, not because they're grieving a loss or something means that they're disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. And then the gentle will also be blessed. And so that's one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. And so if you're gentle, you will be blessed. Yeah. Okay, you're going to be a blessing to others and you're going to bless yourself as well. And then those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are also blessed. You know, a lot of people today are hungry and thirsting for righteousness because yes. there's so much unrighteousness in the land. Okay, and everywhere you turn, you see nothing but unrighteousness. And so there are a lot of people who are hungering and thirsting for that. And the Bible here itself tells us that they're going to be blessed too. Eventually it's going to come. And so according to Jesus, being blessed is more than just happiness. It goes deeper than the ordinary emotions and is driven by more than mere circumstances. And so while people in Jesus' day, like people in our day, might have thought being blessed from being healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's basically how people look at blessings today. As long as they're healthy, wealthy, and wise, they say they're blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Okay, but it goes much deeper than that. Enduring happiness or blessing that comes from a life that is lived in a way that what? That is pleasing to God. He's the one who you want to hear. Good job. Well done. That's the one that you want to hear from. Okay? Because man can deceive you. Uh, Someone said, uh, uh, the old saying that says, if a person like you, they lie for you. And if they don't like you, they lie on you. Okay? And you see, that's so true. And uh, we need to go. We need to look beyond that today, because if you don't, people will continue to deceive you. You think they like you? Okay. The, the, the remainder of the paragraph for the first four qualities. First four qualities have to do more with a person's character than with his circumstances. The poor in spirit. These individuals know that they are dependent on God for everything. They trust them to provide what they need, even the grace they need to stand before him. Okay, those are the poor in spirit. And then those who mourn. Mourning can be done in all kinds of re- for, for all kinds of reasons. We might mourn over the state of the world, or over the sin that we see in our, life, our own lives. We would look around us and within us and mourn. We are blessed because we look to comfort, to the comfort only God can bring. That's the blessing. Because we know that no matter how much we mourn, God is the one who can soothe and heal. And then the gentle. In the kingdom of the world, the people who appear to inherit the earth are the go-getters and the ladder climbers. But in God's kingdom, the gentle 
those who submit themselves before God inherit the whole earth. So you need to tell the Jehovah's Witness that. Okay, those who hunger and thirst, these people are longing for righteousness. They look to God to satisfy their need, knowing true righteousness only comes from Him. Where the true righteousness comes from? Only from God. So if you're looking somewhere else, you won't get it. The blessed people Jesus described are those who know they need God and depend on Him. They are not satisfied with temporary blessings of the world. The blessed Christian stands apart and distinct or different as he or she finds true satisfaction in what only God can provide. Question number two. Okay. What is your understanding of what it means to be blessed? Apart from all we've just described in the passage, what is your understanding of what it means to be blessed? Does your understanding measure up? I mean, like contentment for me, not needing all kind of things. You know, some people are very things mm-hmm. They need, you know, they see with a nice car, they have to have it more. For me, being blessed is like being content. Okay, I might only have this chair. I don't have a whole of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm content. I think that's like blessed. Okay, Paul said that. Paul said, I've learned to be content. Whatever, whatever circumstances or state I find myself in. Because and that's what you're describing, right? Yeah, because you'll constantly be trying to aspire to get these things. And not everybody can be as rich as someone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mightn't be as poor as someone, but you mightn't be as rich as them. So why are you trying to get what they have when you just can't do it? Trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. And you don't know the circumstances. You don't know, you don't know that the bank can own every single thing they have. But yet you're trying to keep up with that. And then I think you burn yourself up. Mm-hmm. I like to be, I like, I think that to me is blessed. Feeling content, okay, the Lord gave me this and you know, I'm satisfied mm-hmm. with that. But we don't know the price of our other people's alabaster box. That's true. That's true. I says nobody know the trouble I see. That's right. Okay, when we look at verses one and two, we know that it's impossible to overstate the impact of the Sermon on the Mount on the world as a whole, not merely Christianity. Okay, this was Jesus' radical description of what life in the kingdom should look like for his followers. That's what he's describing in these verses. This is what life in the kingdom should look like for those who name the name of Christ. In Matthew's district, the introduction, he referenced the crowds that were present all those persons that were there that day, these crowds constituted admirers, perhaps, but not necessarily followers of Jesus. These are people who admired what, Je- what Jesus was doing, but not, a, lot, a lot of them were not necessarily followers. The primary audience for the sermon was Jesus' small band of disciples. And so the focus of what he was saying was his disciples. Because a lot of people he was talking to wasn't saved. They were not followers of Jesus. They were following Jesus because of what they could get rather than what they could give. The disciples were with Jesus because of what they could give, not necessarily what they could get. And so Jesus was talking primarily to his small band of disciples. uh, Those who were truly committed to him. Not just those who were along for the ride. And then we look at verse 3. Jesus began the sermon with a series of nine statements. Each indicating 
the joy of absolute dependence on God. That's absolute, total dependence on God. Jesus began each statement with a, with a Greek term, makaroi, which, almost, which most translations render blessed. In this list of nine, Jesus is not offering an evangelistic program so that non-believers would know how to get into the kingdom of God. Neither was Jesus offering the rewards that would come to those who exerted effort in order to be humble, meek, or merciful. The Beatitudes indicate the characteristics of those who already are in a relationship with Christ and are participating in his presence. So again, Jesus was talking to disciples. He was talking to followers. This is the gear toward Christians, not the unsaved. This was not an evangelistic crusade he was doing here. Okay, he was not intending to reach the lost. He was talking to his people. And the, the bottom line of the message is total dependence on God. No matter what you're going through, you could depend on God and trust him if you're living for him and not for yourself. Notice the consistent theme that ties these first four Beatitudes together is the promise that God blesses our dependence on him. You're going to be blessed if you are dependent on God. Not If you're doing your own thing, you're not going to be blessed. That's, the, that's what he's saying here. Okay, If you're doing your own thing, your own way, however you feel like doing it, don't count on him for blessings. Okay, You've got to be totally dependent on him, is what Jesus is saying here. Whether it is our humility, or mourning, or meekness, or hungering, or thirsting, for what God requires of us, God blesses those who recognize in every area of life that without God, we are helpless and hopeless. That's where we ought to be. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's talking to his followers about. As we continue with verses 5 to 7, we'll find more blessings that turn conventional wisdom spinning on its head. Notice the exercise on page 81. See it? Notice what it says. What are the major blessings in your life? Use the space. Use the space to record as many blessings as you can think of in a couple of minutes. Anybody write anything? <laughs> Nobody pick up your book this week. Okay, we got one in the bar. Help husband, children, grandchildren, Christian friends, Okay, all right, that's good. Anybody else? Write, write something? Okay, remember to pick these up books up during the week now. So that you could do this exercise, and when you come, you can have the answers ready. Okay, we want to know what, what, you, what your thoughts are. What does your list of blessings communicate about your life? Sister Nancy? Since you're the only one in the room. Huh? Okay. She really loves her husband. Yes. What do you say your list communicate about your life? Family oriented. Okay. Anybody else? Want to give it a crack even though you didn't write anything? Anyone? No one? One of my greatest blessings, I think, is to see my children come to know the Lord and then uh, to walk with Him through their adult lives and then see grandchildren follow in that same uh, line. Yes, and yes. I think that's mm -hmm. one of the greatest blessings that I, yes, I think that's a blessing. can experience a long life.
Yeah, I think every parent would want to see that. You know, their children living for the Lord. You know, normally when you talk to somebody and they ask you about your children, one of the questions they ask, are they living for the Lord? Yeah. You know, and that's a good blessing to have, that your children are living for the Lord and serving Him. And you don't, uh, like some people say, you don't, you don't spend your time hanging around the courthouse or the jail. And you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time doing that. You know, uh, the children get in trouble and they, they run in behind them trying to get them on bail and all kinds of stuff, and that's a waste of time. Because they got themselves in the mess, let them get themselves out of it. Okay. Um, my parents, they told us when we were growing up, um, if it's anything to do with the court or anything like that, don't call us. <laughs> we didn't bring y'all up like that, mm-hmm. so don't call us. Mm-hmm. So you know not to get in any trouble because don't call us. Yeah, I have, a, I have a brother who is always, he's on drugs, and my sister, um, I told her a long time, I said, whenever he gets in trouble, don't call me. She used to call me all the time. I said, don't call me. I don't want to hear nothing. Don't, don't call me. Don't even think about my name. Okay? And you don't even go around the court. You don't go around the jail either. Let him learn his lesson. You know? Okay, verse uh, 7 to 9. Now, back to the point of where... Which page is going? 79. 79, yes. For they will be shown mercy. The pure and heart are blessed. For they will seek God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. Okay, notice. The next three Beatitudes move away from our neediness and toward how Jesus' disciples should respond to the needs of others. How we treat others when they are in need. The word used for merciful has to do with an attitude of compassion that results in action on behalf of the person in need. Okay, so we are to be people of compassion. We are not to look at a person and say, boy, it says them right. If they live this or they do that, they do the next, then they wouldn't have been in this mess. Okay, but to look upon them with compassion. Jesus could have said that about a lot of the people who were following him, you know, because he knew, he, remember now, Jesus was all knowing when he was on earth. He knew everything when he was on earth. When he came, when he became a man, his his all knowingness was not his omniscience was not taken away from him, and that's why he could look at the leaders and, and, and know what they were thinking before they said anything. All right, and sometimes we think that we are omniscient too, and we try to judge people because of uh, their circumstances because we don't want to we want to we want to get out of showing compassion toward them. For those who demonstrate mercy, Jesus promised they will be shown mercy. Now, when you, when you feel that you're in a position where you want mercy, do you remember any circumstance where you had an opportunity to show mercy and you didn't? Yeah. I think that's one of the first things that come to mind, isn't it? Yes. You see a person and you need to show mercy to that person. The first thing, boy, I wonder if I showed mercy to somebody when, I, when they were in need. And now you need mercy. The image Jesus painted is one of an open hand reaching out to others with mercy and also able to receive mercy from God. The alternative is the person whose hand is tightly clenched, refusing to reach out to others. That's the alternative. Now, which one are you? Are your hands always reaching out or is it tightly clenched? Huh? In between. <laughs> oh, you like to straddle the fence. In between, eh? 
You know, in between is one or the other. Right, you either call or what? There's no in between. Okay, either you have a hand reaching out to others in mercy, or your hands tightly clenched, and you ain't checking. Verse 8. The heart in the New Testament is to center on a person's will and emotions. It's the innermost part of a person. The phrase pure in heart has to do with integrity that is internal and deep-rooted, as opposed to the type of external purity that the Pharisees promoted, and that's what Jesus was trying to get his disciples away from. The pure in heart are those who live with integrity even when no one is watching. In order to understand what Jesus meant, consider the words of Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. And so in order to see God, a person must stand in God's presence, a situation only possible for those with internal or inner purity. And that was nine. It's important to remember that Jesus spoke these words to those, to his Jewish disciples. Israel was under Roman occupation at the time. In fact, for 600 of the last 700 years, their land had been occupied by foreign oppressors. Whether it was the Syrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, or the Romans, an ongoing sect of Jewish revolutionaries called zealots sought to free Israel from Roman dom domination through violent revolution. And so in the context of the constant rumbling of war and violence, Jesus makes this announcement to be peacemakers. He makes an announcement that the peacemakers are those who are blessed. Now, war was going on all around them, okay? And there was a strong temptation to fight back. But Jesus is saying here, resist that strong temptation because it's the peacemakers that are going to be blessed. Not those who jump up and rise up and try to overthrow uh, the government. It's the peacemakers who are going to be blessed. And so the call to be a peacemaker can constitute a more passive posture of non-violent resistance or it could prescribe a more active pursuit of peace by working to bring reconciliation between opposing parties. What does the Bible say about peace? Seek peace and pursue it. It means... What do you, how do you pursue something? Go after it. You run after it. You chase after it. We call it, you run it down. Okay? And that's what we need to do with peace. Regardless of how, my, how much we have been uh, challenged to do otherwise. Okay, let's look at page 82. Notice the first two paragraphs. Someone read the first two paragraphs. The cross on the right illustrates us, mm -hmm. The cross on the right illustrates life in the kingdom of God. The vertical bar reflects our relationship with God. When we recognize our spiritual poverty, mourn over our sin, gently submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord, and hunger and thirst for his righteousness, our vertical relationship with God is realigned, and all is well between God and us. 
but it doesn't stop there. Our vertical relationship with God impacts our horizontal relationship with others. If we truly experience the blessing of the finding of finding God's love and acceptance through Jesus, then the blessing is naturally reflected in our horizontal relationship. Okay, so we've got uh, a transition from the vertical Beatitudes, verses 3 to 6, to the horizontal in verses 7 to 9. Okay, read the other verses. Yeah, read on. In verses 3 to 6, Jesus described the kind of person who is blessed vertically and his or her relationship with God. These next attributes show us what happens in horizontal relationships as a result. The merciful, the, yeah, merciful. The merciful don't seek revenge. Instead, they operate with a forgiving and gracious spirit. Human hurts pale in comparison to all that God has forgiven us. The pure in heart. The temptation is to act one way at home, a different way at work, and still another way at church. The blessed, however, are pure in heart. Every aspect of their lives displays steadfast purity and integrity. The peacemakers. Peacemakers. Peacemaking takes a willingness to admit when you're wrong. It takes a humble spirit and the confidence to let things go, even when you might be right. When we choose these attitudes towards other people, we stand in sharp distinction to the world. While so many are chasing their own happiness at the expense of others, true blessing is found in giving ourselves for the sake of others. Okay, so we notice we have three uh, descriptions there. Uh, that tell us what kind of people we are supposed to be and how our behavior is described. Be, be, uh, the merciful. Notice the merciful don't seek revenge. In other words, they don't say, I don't get mad, I just get even. The merciful don't say that. Okay? The merciful don't say, tit for tat, butter for fat, you kill my dog, I'll kill your cat. The merciful don't say that. The merciful leaves it to God. And then the pure in heart, are the same wherever they go. Whether they're home or out work, wherever they are, they're the same. Steadfast in pure purity and integrity. They are not hypocrites. Because when you're one way somewhere and somewhere else different, what does that describe you as? Hypocrisy, right? And then the peacemakers are willing to admit they're wrong when they're wrong. Now, some people never admit they're wrong. No matter how much is big, big black and white clear as day, the, the plane flying across the sky with big banner on it, with their name on it saying they're wrong, and they still would admit they're wrong. Okay? There are some people like that. Okay? The peacemakers are willing to admit they're wrong, and it takes humbleness of spirit. Uh, the, the peacemakers are willing to be wrong even when they're right, because they are seeking peace and pursuing it. In other words, they want peace at all costs. So even though they're right, they're right. They're willing to be wrong. Okay, so here we have three characteristics that we can look at our own lives and determine which one of those uh, uh, describe us. Question number three on page 82. Okay, Okay, anybody? 
Sometimes when, when you come across this, I'm letting it go. It's in week. So you sometimes, you know, that's like the cost of it. But people, even though people might think you're weak and everything, you still have to let it go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Another way to put it, another alternative question is, which of these attributes in these verses do you find easiest to live out? Which of these do you find easiest to live out? To be a merciful, pure in heart, or peacemakers? Which one do you find easiest to live out? Merciful? Okay. Pure in heart? Okay. Huh? Peacemaker. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes peacemakers are, are, are made out to be instigators. That's true. Yeah. It's sometimes hard with the pure in heart because you might act a certain way with your family. Like, you know, you could tell them off or whatever, but if you know some of the church people around, you're gonna be. Yeah, you can. You can be more diplomatic. Yeah, yeah, like carrying on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, quick. Yeah, slow. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to take action. Okay, verses 10 to 12 conclude the Beatitudes with more connections between living distinctly and receiving God's blessings. Verses 10 to 12 on page 79. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice. Because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. Uh, question number four. What are some ways Christians experience persecution in today's world? In, in, in the Bahamas, in mm -hmm. the Bahamas you are no Christian. Yeah. Huh? Falsely accused, okay. You're being told you're no Christian because of the you don't want to do what the, what they tell you you ought to do, okay. All right. Um, our time is basically gone here, so let's let's go down to let's look at the application. Um, uh, question number five: How do you help one another choose joy? when others mistreat us because of our faith. Okay. All right, let's look at page 83. Verse two paragraphs. This is the first time in these verses that Jesus gave a command. That's because all these characteristics are representative of something that's happened inside us. When we come to Christ, we are fundamentally changed at the deepest level imaginable. We are citizens in a new kingdom. And in that kingdom, we have, a new, we have new values and new definitions. In other words, we are citizens in God's kingdom, but we still live in this world. So Jesus commanded us in verse 12, be glad and rejoice. We can't always control how we feel. 
we can become angry, sad, or nervous, but we don't have to stay mired in these emotions. We can make the choice, no matter what the circumstances are, to rejoice and be glad. We must remind ourselves of the truth, that the, the truth, despite what we might feel. That's why rejoice is a command instead of a feeling. Tell yourself, who's boss? Jesus is Lord of my life, and he is Lord over all. Because of that truth, we can choose to rejoice and be glad despite the tough stuff of life. We can make an active choice to stand against the current of our circumstances and choose joy. Jesus also gave us a check to make sure we're rejoicing in the right thing. He reminded us that we can choose to rejoice about what really matters. Those who go against the world's current stand clearly. They are distinct from the world. They are more than happy. They are blessed. Okay, look, let's look at live it out on page 84 as we wrap it up here. What do we do uh, as a result? What steps will you take this week to seek our blessings rather than mere happiness? Consider the following suggestions. Allow God's word to bless you. Memorize Matthew 5, 3 to 6, and pray through Jesus' words every day. Okay, so there's a memory verse there. Bless someone else by serving them. Choose one relationship this week in which you want to model what it means to be blessed. Serve that person in a tangible way. And then thirdly, finally, allow someone else to bless you. Share with someone you trust about a tough situation you're walking through. Ask them to help you choose to be glad and rejoice in the middle of that situation. Okay, so you bless someone and you allow someone to bless you. Okay, and so page 84, bottom again, Christians are different. They are distinct. They display that distinction in their, what? Dependence on God. That's how we show the world we're different. Their actions toward others and the way they respond to difficulties or challenges in their lives. So, are you ready to find something bigger than happiness? That's the challenge that we have, the question that we have to answer as we go forward this week. Amen? Amen.